0: You're listening to the First Fight Podcast, home of the people and stories behind the fight. I'm Jennifer Anderson, the host and creator. My goal is to give you a peek into the remarkable world of fighting and create a platform for fighters to tell their stories. In each episode of this series, a different fighter shares a transformative story of their first time. Today's episode is one of my favorites so far, Um, the legendary Eddie Alvarez. Eddie has been in almost every major promotion and he's an all-around good guy and kind of embodies the spirit of a fighter and I've been wanting to interview him for a while and I'm lucky I got the opportunity to sit down and talk with him about how he got started in fighting, how his street fighting translated into an unlikely career. We talk about the importance of a good spouse and partner in this business and the power of believing in yourself. The lonely lifestyle of a fighter requires a really strong self-belief and he goes into a little bit of that and i could talk to eddie forever because he is a super introspective person and has a lot to say about the industry so i hope you guys enjoy this as much as i did so today on the show i have the underground king eddie alvarez thank you for coming on
1: uh good to be here good to be here i'm excited <laughs>
0: So Eddie's someone I've wanted to interview for a while. He's because good storytelling, but you've been through it all, fought everywhere, every promotion. So I'm curious to hear how you got your start in fighting.
1: Yeah, so um, so I wrestled in high school. I wrestled at North Catholic High School, and I, I think that would that would be like where my competitive like combat career started. Um, and right outside of high school, I got in a lot of street fights. Um, I was I lived basically on my own with my brother and sister. Um... In Kensington, in North Philly, my parents moved away to Florida. So at 18 years old, I was pretty much working, I, uh, paid my own bills, and did, did my own thing. And I was hanging out with hanging out with a group of guys who liked to fight in Philadelphia. So um, I was able to get into bars, get into things like that um, for my brother's ID. And I got I found myself in a lot of trouble as a young kid. But uh competitively, I still I still wanted to compete. And um although I was getting in street fights. Um, MMA was it wasn't popular yet, but it was starting to make its way and it was a natural transition for me to like Really see how tough I was as as an 18 or 19 year old to actually do do a pro fight so um So that's what I did kind of I thought about it for a while gotten a lot of street fights uh, on the weekends. i gotten enough to where I was like I might as well try to get paid for it and uh, Lou Neglia at the time was uh, running Ring of Combat, and I think I fought on Ring of Combat 3 or 5, one of his very first shows in Elizabeth, New Jersey, exit 13A on a snowstorm. I think it was the day of a snowstorm. <laughs> um, everybody from Philadelphia got, che- got a cheese bus. We got two cheese buses, I think. We put two kegs on the back of them. We were all around like night, between 19 and 20-something years old. And uh, about seventy-five people from Philadelphia uh, drove up to Elizabeth, New Jersey, exit thirteen A at the Rexplex, and I fought in a basketball gym in front of about a hundred people, and that was that was my my debut with uh, with new Lou Neglia.
0: So, how did you feel leading up to it? Is were you nervous at all, or was it just another day for you?
1: So, it, street fights. The street fights I've been in were a lot, a lot more chaotic because there's not, there's no referees. You legit feel in danger and things like that. So I had a lot of chaos in my life on the weekends, like a lot of chaos, and and a lot of it was like self-made, um, maybe me just trying to get a thrill or a compete or unconsciously trying to compete again, um, but in the wrong places. But um, yeah, it was much more the chaos I was already living just controlled, I guess, with a referee, with a sanctioning body, with a, so I, in essence, I felt a little bit safer inside of a cage with people watching and people looking over your, your health and well-being, but um, still the same nervousness to, uh, to foul, you know, yeah. to, the possibility of fouling, possibility of getting knocked out was like, you know, ungodly to think about in, in your pro debut in front of all your friends and family and everybody.
0: So how did it how did it
1: go? Did you win? So, um, so I'll rewind back real quick. I didn't. I had to pay 500 bucks for my medicals, and I only made like 250 dollars that back. So I was in the hole 250 bucks for my first pro fight. I, <laughs> I I paid to fight my first pro fight, and this was in 2003 before I think even before the Ultimate Fighter came on TV. So the, the sport in itself was kind of failing. It was on its way out and then uh it was right before the ultimate fighter and so i come out again we're at a basketball gym there's probably 150 people there including all the judges and sanctioning body and uh and i fight a matt sarah guy um anthony Landada um matt sarah purple belt um big guy probably 30 something years old at the time which was old to me because i was only 19 and um we, we come out and I think he hits me and then I turn South Pole and go straight street fight. I went from like being clear headed to I'm gonna do this and that and then I went, it got into a straight street fight. I took him down and um, I got him out and I, I hit him probably 12 times. 11 of them shots were unanswered, like completely out, just beating on a, on a corpse. Um, the ref was way late with his call Probably, he was knocked out after like the second punch, and there was probably thirteen that came after that. So, um, <clears throat> I'll go back to my corner. I'm all excited, hyped. The whole my all my friends and family are excited. We're all pumped up. And then uh, Anthony Landa is like not getting up, and uh, just not getting up. A minute goes by, two minutes go by, and I went from excited to like, oh shit! I I just killed someone in my first 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 fight. And this wasn't, you know, I wanted to win, but I didn't, didn't want to hurt nobody. And uh, then they gave him some smelling and salt and he still wasn't getting up. So it got the whole, the whole mood of yeah. the gym changed. It went from excited to, okay, is everything all right? And then finally he popped up and that was my, that was my first introduction to Matt Sarah and Ray Longo and met them guys.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, it was cool. And I think uh, from there, my friends, fans, family—just they want it more. They want it more and more. So, so we just kept, we kept, we kept rolling, kept doing the fights. But I tell you, I tell you what. During door, door the fights, um, I'm looking across from this guy. I, I paid 250 bucks to do this. There's 100 people in the basketball gym. I'm like, this shit is such a dead end. I was thinking in my head like, this is the worst hobby you could ever do in your life. Like. Where are you going with this? And there there was, like, there wasn't any pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like, there wasn't a UFC world title. There wasn't a, you know, millions of dollars. It was yeah. me and a basketball gym fight, and that was all it was ever going to be because nothing really came about, like, the way it is today, you know.
0: So when did you realize that you could make a career off of it, a life out of it?
1: Um. So I was able... I, unlike a lot of fighters, I was able to accumulate a lot of money locally. Um, I didn't—I never needed the UFC from a really early age. Like I never depended on the UFC to to um, to pay me to get by. I was locally by the time I was my seventh, or eighth fight in, I was making thirty to fifty thousand dollars a fight mm-hmm. just off my own ticket sales, merchandising like shirt sales, everything that came with bringing. 1,000 fans to Atlantic City, Mm -hmm. you know, um, promoters paid me well, I sold a lot of shirts, and I got a lot of sponsors, a lot of local sponsors, so, like, locally, I was able to do really well, whoa, I was blessed, where a lot of fighters just didn't have the support, and the following I had, like, Philly came out strong and large every time I fought, no matter where it was, so, they were the, sort of, the foundation of, like, my career, without Without Philadelphia coming to my fights and doing that, I would have probably never been able to leave my job and just fight. I would have had to still do both for a long, long time before I was able to make the the full commitment and the full jump mm-hmm. over.:
0: So was it hard for you mentally to do it before you realized it was something that was feasible as a you know earning a living from?
1: so so I did concrete work for four or five years, and trained. I did both, and I never made the jump because um, me, me and Jamie, me. And I've been with my wife since I was fifteen. We had our first child when we were twenty. So, I I, I needed to take care of my wife and my family, and my kids, really early as a twenty-year-old kid. So, if I didn't, I needed. They needed stability. I couldn't put them in a fight life and been like, all right, if I if I fight, we're gonna make some money. And if I don't, um, we're gonna all drown and we're all gonna suffer. So, um, I did concrete work, and that gave me a steady paycheck. I think I made like forty-five thousand bucks a year. I got I got paid well for it. That was well when I was nineteen or twenty. I think I made like almost thirty bucks an hour doing concrete work. And I, um, but I I always felt like I'm like I'm so much better than this i had a higher standard for myself like of my life like when i pictured it as a kid like much higher standard than just doing some concrete work coming homes living day by day support my family so it was actually like the energy i had inside thinking that that was going to be the rest of my life was it, i had so much energy i could do anything like mm-hmm. I would come home, I'd train twice a day, I'd wake up, I'd wake up five in the morning, do concrete, and do it all over again, mm-hmm. and do it seven days a week, because I was chasing what I had envisioned in my head for me and my family. I wasn't, I was really uneasy doing concrete work for the rest of my life. The idea of that made me really, I couldn't, I literally couldn't sleep. Um,
0: well, at what point did you realize that you kind of arrived?
1: So... What happened was, locally, I did really well. I won a few world titles, um, for, I won a few promotional titles, won a local one um, for reality fight, and then won a world one for uh, MFC and Bowdog. I won their world titles. And uh, then a billionaire, Calvin Air, started Bowdog, And they offered me $30,000 a fight for four fights for the year. That's when I ran upstairs to my wife that's it. I'm done concrete. I I'm a, I was always a saver. So I had a, lot, a good amount of money saved and I said, I'm going to be done and then we're just going to fight. That's it. I'm going to fully commit to this. And I made a promise. I made a promise to the Lord. And I said, like, if you ever give me the opportunity to um, just fight for a living, I promise I'll never take it for granted. I'll treat it like a job. The same way I do this concrete, I wake up, I put a hard eight hours in, I come home, I'll do the same thing. I won't, I won't take take this gift you give me for granted. And I didn't. I took it very serious. Mm -hmm. Trained to I probably worked more fighting than I ever did being an employee, you know, of a of a, Mm -hmm. of a of a construction company.
0: A lot of people don't I talk about this a lot, but they don't understand how like unstable the the fight game is. And they they think it's glamorous but they don't really know like you know they think professional athletes they get paid compared to other professional athletes you don't get paid you're an independent contractor so any anything can change you know you could your fight can be canceled you can get injured and that then what happens you're not making you know a quarter of your income for the year you know so
1: yeah yeah I you almost have to be you and, and you had not only for yourself because I always dealt with uncertainty well. Like as a mm-hmm. child, I grew up in a I didn't have a lot of resources. I always dealt with uncertainty. I was made for uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I always had re- very optimistic in the face of things that were you know not gonna go well or maybe we weren't sure if they were gonna go well. So I was made for this sport. But you also have to need to get your part your life partner ready for mm-hmm. this sport, and that um, that takes a certain woman takes a really good woman to to love her person enough to say i i trust that this ship that you're driving right here is gonna stay afloat and that you're gonna get us to the other side Mm -hmm. and i i had that early and i and i kept kept pushing my dream and um, my dream for me and my dream for my family to my wife and we would dream on it and sleep on it and believe it to the point where she's right there my number one fan like like I would get beat. Boom! The, this don't mean none. We're gonna we're gonna be there like yeah. that. That I think is maybe the support of a good woman. I think is probably more important to a fighter and only a fighter and an athlete would notice than his actual team and teammates and everything like that. Because you're with your partner all the time, mm-hmm. and their their opinion of you means everything. Mm-hmm. You could act as tough as you want, as bad as you want. Your wife's opinion of you and her belief in you is a serious driving force for a man. Like, like, really serious. And uh, I've always had that. I've been lucky to. I've been lucky to have that. My wife believed in me. Believed in our dream together. And we, You know, we were able to kind of conquer this in the face of a lot, a lot of uncertainty.
0: I was going to ask you about that because I know you. A, you've been through a lot in your career. You've been. All, like I said, different promotions. I'm sure plenty of highs and lows, and you and Jamie have been together the whole time. I actually just talked about this with Rex um, when I interviewed him, the importance of your partner, and it's so true because fighting is such a lonely existence, I think. It's not the same as a team sport, and, and Frankie talking, was talking about that on his podcast Like, losing in fighting is not the same as losing in wrestling or losing with a team. It's a very low, low. And I'm sure you felt, A, the fans turn on you. Even even if you have a good team, you don't always have that support and that spouse is definitely, I think, if you have a good spouse or partner, one constant that you can have that can probably mentally keep you going
1: that yeah the consistency is is everything right so like i compare it to like um and i I grew up catholic and i i compare it to i have a lot of friends who are also you know whatever religion whatever god you believe in but like a lot of things in people's lives they have tragedies in their life Mm -hmm. and they lose their faith completely they say god don't exist like Mm -hmm. something really bad happens to them whether it's Their wife dies their kids die something really tragic and then they turn around and they say you know what god don't exist they no longer see like or are able to be grateful because the pain of whatever happened to them is so bad Mm -hmm. that they lose sight of that so like i compare fighting to that because you have this strong belief faith and hope for yourself and along the way um, that faith is shaken terribly. Like, like really shaken. Shaken in front of millions of people, um, millions of opinions, millions of critics, and you need to continue to practice it in 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 that adversity. In that in that that strong of an opinion, or that loud of a bullhorn saying that. You ain't shit, or you suck, and you're not everything you thought you were, and you'll never be world champion. And all the doubters and all the loud voices that yell at you—that you need to be able to practice your faith and shut it all out. So it takes a a consistency in your circle mm. to let them, you know, regrow yourself, regrow your, that faith, and keep it strong, and know that like whatever did happen was a small lapse, a temporary time and that that you'll get your turn Mm -hmm. and but believing and hoping that um you'll get your turn because the the only other option is hopelessness (laughs) (laughs) so like well at in the end it's your choice you can choose to be hopeful or choose to be hopeless so you might as well choose being hopeful Mm -hmm. and you might as well believe and do everything you can to uh do that and uh, and it's difficult. It's difficult because you will lose the faith of a lot of people who are close to you. You won't. Because they're just not as... They're not as uh, strong or not, maybe not as secure and confident in themselves as you are. So you'll lose their faith along the way and you'll be like, damn, they don't believe in me no more.
0: I talk about this a lot because I struggle with it. It's so hard finding that balance of like fighting. I feel like you have to be delusionally confident in yourself and in your dream but where do you draw the line when you you also need to be aware of like your faults and the things you need to improve upon so it's hard like I struggled having that confidence in in still knowing what I wasn't good at you know Mm -hmm. but it's it's so it's proof of the power of the mind because you're gonna have like the lows are so low, you know, and you hear all the little, like yeah. you said, the voices, and even in the, your loved ones, you hear like, you know, my husband's lost, and his family—they don't want to see him hurt, you know, and they—the first thing There's, they'll first say thing is like, "It's okay if you quit." Like, right. it, in, to me, it like broke—it broke his heart to even hear that that they like—they want to protect him. And, but that translates to, I don't have faith in you, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. A, a hundred, a hundred and, and I, I realize, because I hear that, I realize that my expectations of them people who were saying that were too high. Mm-hmm. Why would I expect you to understand me in any way, shape, or form? Why, why did I expect that? Mm-hmm. Was, it was me who was the fool, not them. Like, mm-hmm. they don't fight. They don't need a deep yeah. faith they don't need a deep hope in the wake of like an immense amount of adversity or immense amount of voices. They don't need that. And they never needed to practice that. I have, and I, my, I just lowered my expectations of them rather than, yeah. rather than take their word as um, being offended by it or in any way, shape or form. I just lowered my own expectations. and <laughs> went, look, this is completely normal for people who don't deal with this sort of adversity yeah. at a high level yeah. to feel this way, to want to run the other way when things get difficult. Um, but as fighters, we're you know we're we're actually built the opposite. We you know we run toward it in order to stretch and grow. And the truth is, we're not delusional. You know why we're not delusional is because people will say you'll never be this, you'll never be that. You only need to be champion for, you only need to do something great for a moment. Right? Yeah. Like, it's a moment. It's yeah. not it's not forever. You're not gonna be king forever. You're not gonna hold the bell forever. But am I delusional for thinking for one moment in time I can do something great? Like no, I'm not delusional. Like mm. anybody can. If and, and, and in fact, um, if I play the numbers, if I do it for longer than you do, with an intense amount of focus, yeah, the numbers are on my side, not yours. Yeah. So I'm not delusional thinking I can do something great for a small moment in time. Fifteen minutes twenty five minutes in the course of a whole lifetime I'm chasing something, and you know and I, I'm a testament to it, and I think a lot of uh champions out there who were you know put down and told they couldn't do something are also a testament to it. You only need to be great for a small period of time, and then you say, Hey, I did it <laughs> you know
0: well it's you i think throughout the journey you you take not value away, but you stop, you look towards other people to give you that confidence even less because they do disappoint you and no one can have that belief, but it's, like I said, lonely, but it's probably the most powerful thing too. Once you do achieve that, like the, the high is higher than anything because you had to rely on yourself for that belief, you know?
1: Uh, only, only yourself. I, I compare it to like the, these lion tamers and these people are in a circus like, they, look, I can control a tiger, look at me. They, they get this euphoria out of controlling something so powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, power this guy feels inside of a mm-hmm. circus, telling this lion who could eat everyone in the place, do this and do that and twirl a hula hoop, look at me. I can control something so powerful. Imagine that thing was yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine being able to say, I want to be champion. Now I want to make a million dollars. Now I want to manifest it, manifest this. And now I want to manifest this. That sort of control, yeah. there's nothing like it. And it's, you literally, when you realize you, you have that control, if you're willing to to, to, um, to take responsibility for yourself, then it's a fun game. It's like, what else can I manifest? Mm-hmm. I mean... I want to. I want a world title. Okay, you got one. All right. So I want to support my family, and make millions of dollars. Okay, you got it. All right. Now I want to. It's like becomes a fun game of mm-hmm. delusion, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, delusion until it manifests, right? <laughs>
0: well, I, I think like anything, and it starts just doing martial arts too. Is um, it's something you exercise and get better at, you know? Yeah. You, you're. First, it's like putting yourself out there you're afraid to put yourself out there, or at least I was just to be in the spotlight and fail mm-hmm. once you get used to like failing in front of people I think I don't want to say it gets easier, but it gets easier to go back out there
1: after you failed you know i uh, yeah i think I think it only gets easier because your perspective changes, and in the beginning you have a you have a bad perspective you think and and the world thinks uh i uh, since I failed I must be a loser. And the, the truth is, great, you failed, Um Because most people don't even try. So let's change our perspective on your failure and say, this is a great thing that you actually failed, because it means you fucking took a shot. Mm-hmm. You, you tried. You're already ahead of 90-something percent of the rest of the people. Okay, now change your perspective and keep going forward. Now you're ahead of 95%. Now you're playing in the five percent. All right, now you're going forward, now you lose. So little by little you're 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 changing right. yourself and you're becoming a smaller percentage of what the overall population is. Mm-hmm. So you're at the one of one percent and you know, you're you're stretching yourself and growing to a level that like where you can inspire the other ninety nine yeah. in some way, shape or form.
0: You know. I can see that. I mean in all areas of your life you're i would say a a champ you know you're i admire like your family life that you guys have you are all very close and you're a good father husband um and you're good i think successful as far as like diversifying your your future and finding more to you know not just relying on fighting you you are a good example of what a lot of fighters don't do um is planning for the future after fighting and you've definitely given my husband a lot of good advice on that he definitely looks towards you and anyone who knows you should if they haven't as far as advice after fighting
1: yeah yeah fight like I can pinch myself every day because uh fighting like from the day I started it and I was making good enough money I've been pinching myself every day like this isn't true mm-hmm. because my only first goal one of the only goals real goals I made was so I can do this for a living and and then when I got to do that I had to pinch myself every day because mm-hmm. I was able to now uh, maybe 12 13 years gone by I haven't had a job and that was my only goal was I don't want a job <laughs> I just want to be able to wake up and do what I want to do I want to be able to train and do what I want to do not answer to a boss not and thirteen years went by like that, like a blink of an eye. And I still pinch myself. And luckily enough I accumulated enough enough money and enough enough uh, prizes during, during this whole during this whole stretch where yeah, I can kind of plan for the future and things like that. But uh, at any point during them during this seventeen years of fighting, it could have been gone. It could've been gone the first year, second year, third year. You you need be ready. My obligations to my family and uh, first and foremost they played this game with me and I would consider myself a complete failure if we played this game for 17 years and I told them, you know, we're all going to struggle when I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'd be so upset with myself. I'd be completely I wouldn't be able to function. So a big part of my driving force is repaying the people who supported me all the time. And by doing that is Giving them a comfortable life, mm-hmm. you know? be Letting them, in them, experience things, travel, and do things that um, maybe some ordinary people can't do. And I owe that to them. My family is everything to me, so I, I want to do that. I don't want to show up at a UFC fight and ask for a ticket and stuff like that. Right? Mm-hmm. Like when I'm you know, 40-something years old. Yeah. I want to buy VIP seats for my whole family. I don't want to ask anybody for anything. Yeah, I want to earn everything I get and I did it with like my body for 17 years, and my next 20, I want to do it with my brain. Mm-hmm. You know what I, mean? I want to be able to strategize and make moves financially with my, start using my brain, which is a lot, can last a lot longer than my body. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm happy for you, and a lot of people, I think, should look to you as an example. You're, it's not common to find someone is like, you you kind of embody the quintessential fighter, fighting spirit, but you're also um, calculated about your career and your future, and that's kind of the the total package. I'm I'm happy to see you find success that way and influence other fighters in that way because it's tough seeing them sacrifice everything. You have to you know to be successful in it and um, to not come out at the end winning, you know, to a point where you can make a living and, you know, take I, care of your family. It's amazing that you were able to do that.
1: Yeah. I say that all the time. I'm like, "What, you know, I don't want to go from being world champion to applying for Home Depot at the end of it all." It's like, yeah. hey, "Is it a possibility?" Fuck yeah, it is 100%. It, yeah. That is a pot, that is a real possibility and a likelihood of most mma fighters is that they're gonna live this dream for so long mm-hmm. and then they're gonna apply to home depot or, mm-hmm. or something and, th- and there's nothing wrong with that there's honor in any job but um to put this sacrifice in and not put an ounce of your brain power behind it and planning and strategizing with the dollars that you achieve with this um you're missing a whole section of the whole game you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. you know it's brutal work and your body large paychecks but there's a whole section of planning and strategizing that you're missing if you don't come out of this you know with a with a safe plan for you and you your fat, you and your family
0: Well, I appreciate you coming on and talking about I could talk to you about this forever. Uh, yeah. I love this is why I do this because I love the stories and the people behind it, you know, it's not just what you see. It, that's just I always say that what you see in the cage or the ring is like 1% of it all. And it's a really honorable life to live, I think, that a lot of people don't understand. And it has a lot of parallels to just the tragedies of life in general, fighting does, I think. And I um, enjoy hearing stories behind it. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you. This was cool.
0: Thanks again, Eddie. I really appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed this interview and I hope everyone else enjoys it as well. Eddie um, has a lot of good advice. And like I said earlier, we could go on for a while talking about fighting and all the different things that come along with it. So thanks again for taking the time. Um, We're looking forward to seeing you fight soon in April. And Thank you everyone else for tuning in and listening again. We'll have more interviews, some more special interviews of different people in the industry. And as usual, you can go to my website, firstfightpodcast.com and you can also go to our Instagram page if you're not following to stay up to date on all our upcoming episodes at The First Fight. Um, Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.